You are listening to Pandora's Box Radio with Kalia LaRoche. For more information about my products and services, counseling, coaching, hypnotherapy, books, and audios, please visit NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. Hello and welcome to Pandora's Box. This is Kalia. And the topic of our podcast today is four months in a truck camper, the solitary journey. Back in early June, I talked about moving into my truck camper for the summer. And I left my home, which I'd rented out for the summer and spent four months traveling in Colorado. Where I live near Sedona, Arizona, the temperatures begin to rise to the triple digits in June and stay typically between 95 and 105 degrees Celsius on a daily basis. The much needed monsoons come typically in early July, bringing downpours of rain and with it a certain amount of humidity. So it can be like a sauna. Since I love to be outdoors in the summer, hiking and riding my bike, I always leave Arizona for cooler weather. This year, because of the crazy gas prices, I chose to stay closer to home, making the day-long trip to the Colorado mountains. Normally, a podcast like this one might fall more into the category of a travel podcast, or an RV life podcast, but I want to really focus more on the inner journey that is inspired by the outer journey. My work is all about the inner journey. As we can't overcome abuse or trauma or negative self-opinions if we don't embark upon the journey within, that's where the work is done. One of my sources of entertainment is to watch videos on people who are living an RV life, a van life, or alternative off-grid life in a tiny home or a cabin. For some reason, these adventure videos appeal to me because it takes courage to step out of society's norm and follow one's dream. Sometimes alternative living situations are created out of necessity. Housing prices have skyrocketed and the rental market is priced very high in most desirable areas. So I've heard stories of college kids living in a van while getting their degrees or people living in a long-term RV park in some type of RV while saving enough money to buy a home or to buy land. More and more retired people are moving into their RVs so they can travel and see the country rather than staying in one place, losing their luster for life. Tiny home living is also becoming popular. Not necessarily that building a tiny home is cheap, but because it's a small space to maintain, And if it's on a trailer, it's taxed like an RV and not a permanent dwelling. It takes up less real estate and it suits a minimalistic lifestyle. One great thing I've noticed with all the videos I watch on alternative living is that so many people are leaving the material world behind 
putting their focus on what really matters. And I think that's what really excites me. Rather than spending all their time, energy, and money supporting a lavish lifestyle and keeping up with the Joneses, more and more people are seeking after quality of life rather than the accumulation of material possessions. More people are doing what feeds their soul rather than what drains their life energy. Many people report that going to a job they hate every day is like giving up another piece of their soul every day. And so the quest and the desire to make a life rather than make a living is on the rise. When we challenge ourselves to live outside the box, we grow in ways we wouldn't otherwise. When you're just following society's norm, you may find yourself boxed in by that norm. So climbing out of the box can be really liberating. I always had the dream to create a life that was off the grid, so to speak, where I wasn't dependent on a job or staying in one place. And this is the life I both dreamed of and visualized So it unfolded quite naturally to the point where all my work is done online and by phone, Skype, or Zoom. I really feel blessed, and although it may seem like it just happened that way, I attribute so much to the inner fire, the dream, the visualization, and following inspiration. When we have a dream... We need to stay awake and aware and pay attention to those intuitive urges and promptings. Following inspiration is what I would say was the single most powerful contributing factor in being able to live my dream. But here's the deal. I'm not rich. I don't charge a lot of money for my services because I want them to be accessible to others. I live a fairly simple and minimalistic life. I know I can live in a small space because I do it for four months, a year. What I find to be the secret to living in a small space alone, away from my community, is the relationship that I have with myself. Although traveling can provide plenty of distractions, when traveling alone like I have, it tends to take me deeper into myself. In the depths, I have the opportunity to confront loneliness, to develop extreme self-reliance, to ask for help from strangers when I need it, to get out of my comfort zone, and to challenge myself in ways I wouldn't normally. There have been times traveling when I found myself in some predicaments that I wasn't sure how I was going to pull myself out of. When alone and far from my community, I can't just call a friend. I have to rely upon my own inner and outer resources. I reflect upon one journey I took deep into the national forest, down a long horribly rutted dirt road. It was so bumpy that my camper was jumping all over the place and was not faring well. It's pretty top heavy. My bike 
that was attached to the back, to a bike rack in the back, was jarred right out of the bike rack, and things were flying about in the camper itself. Of course, when I began the journey, I didn't realize the road would be this bad. It was fine up to a certain point. It went quite a ways through private property. But once we entered an area where there wasn't very much private property, they stopped maintaining the road, which can be typical. The further I drove down this road, the more nervous I became. My hands were tied on the steering wheel and I was going ever so slowly. There was really no place to turn around with my big Ford F-250 truck with a big camper on top. So I had to keep going. And I told myself, if there was a place to turn around, I was going to do it. Because I was getting really uncomfortable. Finally, about six miles in, there was a pullout on the side of the road. And I pulled in and stopped, turning off my vehicle. I finally found a place to turn around, but I just needed to take a break first. I noticed that my bike was hanging from the rack by all the bungee cords I'd used to secure it. So, you know, good for the bungee cords. And I decided to tackle that issue by untangling the bike from the cords, pulling it off the rack, and putting it back on and resecuring it. And this wasn't an easy task as the bike, being electric, weighed over 70 pounds. After dealing with my bike, I decided to take a little walk further down the road to see if I could see an end in sight. There was supposed to be a place toward the end of the road where there was a hiking trail and dispersed camping. Just around the corner, I noticed this beautiful meadow down below with a creek running through it. And there were these amazing mountain peaks in the distance. This was private property with no trespassing signs. But I wondered what might be just up ahead, around the next corner. I'd come so far. I decided to use my body as a pendulum to determine if I should keep going or turn back. I got a big yes on keep going and a no on the turn back. So I walked back to my truck, jumped in, and slowly continued down the bumpy road. At one point, there was a stream with a big rut going right across the road, and I wasn't sure if I could even cross it without bottoming out. But I had no choice. In fact, the last mile was the worst mile of the whole trip. And I asked, why did you tell me to keep going? Just when I was on my last nerve, I saw this big open meadow and a sign telling me I had arrived on National Forest land and I could camp here for 14 days. The first meadow I came across had no other campers, and so I found a great place to park with amazing views of the meadows and the tall mountain peaks, very close to the raging creek, which I could hear from my camper. And I was so happy to have arrived to be here. It was like arriving in paradise after a trip through hell. 
I can look back on this particular camp spot as one of the most spectacular of my entire four-month journey, and getting there came with a huge lesson. Don't give up when you're only a mile from your destination. Of course, we don't always know when we're only a mile from our destination, and I didn't know at the time. I hadn't been keeping track of the mileage. All I knew is it was a long and treacherous road. Once I got settled in, realizing I had no cell service, the thought came to me, well, what if I got stuck or got hurt or needed help? And the answer that came to me was, you're guided, you're protected, you'll be okay. And once I remembered that I'm really never alone, I could settle in and enjoy paradise. And paradise it was. The theme that I'm never really alone followed me throughout my entire four-month journey. And it got me out of some binds. I had some experiences bordering on the miraculous, which gave me a deeper sense of connection to something much larger than myself. In one experience, I rode my bike down to a reservoir in the early evening. My camp was in a dispersed camping area in the pine forest, so I was pretty far out. I didn't realize that most of my journey to the reservoir was downhill, and I didn't start out with a full battery. So in my mind, it wasn't that far, but it ended up being much further than I had imagined. Electric bikes are heavy and they're battery reliant. They sail with the battery, but if there's no battery life, it's very heavy to push, especially uphill, and nearly impossible to ride. On my way back to camp, it was uphill all the way. And when I found myself at the bottom of one of the largest and steepest uphill climbs, I realized my battery was blinking, warning me that it was about to die. I got off the bike and I started walking my bike up this long hill. It's probably about a mile up. With a little battery left, I could at least have some throttle assist pushing the bike uphill so it wouldn't feel like dragging it. But it would have taken all of my remaining battery life to ride it up. So I finally got near the top of the hill where the grade was leveling out and I decided to jump back on my bike and see if I could pedal. I was surprised that there was still battery life available. I decided to pedal as far as I could before it died as I still had several miles to get back to camp. Mind you, I was praying and singing chants the whole way because I had this chant stuck in my head. And the battery seemed to have died altogether because it quit blinking and just went dark. But the pedal assist kept working. I was really surprised. Miraculously, I made it all the way back to camp with the help of my pedal assist, even though the battery had already died. When I got to camp, I was so happy and grateful, knowing once again, I was not alone. These kinds of experiences continued to show up for me. These reminders that even in my most challenging hours, I'm not walking or traveling 
or riding alone. But I swear I could hear the voice within telling me, try not to be an idiot, make good choices, but we're here to help, even when you make bad choices. One morning in Crestone, Colorado, in the forest where I was camping, I decided it was a blueberry pancake and coffee type of morning. That was always a treat, and I did it about once a week. So I made my pancakes and my coffee, and I was going outside to sit in the morning sun and have my most delicious breakfast. Because I was holding both a plate and a cup, I didn't fully see the camper step, and I missed a step, completely tripping and falling to the mat below spilling hot coffee and blueberry pancakes with maple syrup all over me. I knew this was going to be bad. But like most accidents, you may not be aware of the damage right away because you're in shock from the initial surprise. I could be badly burned. I could have broken something. So I didn't move. I stayed still and reoriented to my body and noticed that my leg was twisted beneath me. I felt the sting of the hot coffee on my skin and the stickiness of the maple syrup. I was covered in blueberry pancake, and my very first thought was, oh, what a waste. After my assessment, I realized that I wasn't badly burned, and I didn't have any broken bones. I moved my leg and straightened it out, and once I realized I was okay, my attention went to the pancake all over my body, and I started picking up the pieces and putting them into my mouth. I was going to salvage what I could of my breakfast. The coffee was gone, but much of the pancake was still on top of me, so I enjoyed my pancake breakfast laying on the mat at the foot of my camper. Once again, I was out of cell service, and a situation that could have been bad ended up being okay. I had some bumps and bruises, but I was okay. To me, it was more evidence that I'm being watched over and taken care of. I wasn't alone, but I felt really alone that day. It was as if life was telling me not to go anywhere or do anything on my last day there in Crestone. I needed to stay put. And in the silence of nature, after the adrenaline rush of the fall, I sunk into a deep depression where I stayed all day. As I reflect back, I can't fully put my finger on the pulse of the depression. It was something I visited and revisited over my four-month journey. Depression came when I did feel very much alone. And I would ask the question, who would know? if I broke my leg and I couldn't call for help because I'm out of signal range. Who even knows where I am? Who's truly following me on my trip and knows all the places that I'm traveling to? If I was sick or injured or even dead, who would know? And the worst question was, who would care? I suppose those questions were the source of my depression And one would simply say, stop asking those silly questions. But when I find myself in the middle of nowhere by choice, because 
A part of me loves being in the belly of the mother, out here in nature, away from civilization. Questions come up. Perhaps I ask the question because I want to be sure that I'm more careful in some situations. Or maybe I come in touch with just how isolated I was and how few people I felt really cared about me. And it wouldn't matter if I was out here in the middle of nowhere or if I was at home in a community I've been in for a long time. The feeling was always there. I was just more aware of it out here. I had to go deep into the reality that I never had a true partner in life. I'd always really walked alone. I tried to find a life made and it never worked out for me. My only child didn't seem to care about me. He rarely ever called and didn't respond to my messages very often. I wasn't really close to my family, and I let go of many friendships and relationships that I felt were toxic. So in many ways, I was alone. I didn't have a bestie or a partner or a parent who would know where I was in this moment. That was a reality check for me, and one that continued to pull me into depression. I somehow needed to make friends with this reality, and I was being given the opportunity to do exactly that. I did an inventory of who was interested in me as a human being and who was contacting me on a regular basis. To everyone's credit, most people who knew I was out here traveling knew I was off-grid a lot and on a solo journey, and they didn't want to bother me or disrupt my solitude. But there was an older woman who always knew where I was because she asked me to tell her when I was going to the next place or when I arrived at the next place. She always knew where I was, and she was the one I called and told my pancake story to after I recovered and had cell reception again. We both had a good laugh, about how when life hands you lemons, you make lemonade. My salvaging of the pancake story was priceless and worth a good laugh. There was a man who also was traveling who checked in with me quite regularly, and I appreciated our connection. My mom would check in with me every now and then and ask how my travels were going. And I had a few friends who would check in with me now and then. And of course, I reached out to people when I wanted connection. But the majority of my community just let me go for the summer, and I let them go, knowing we would reconnect in the fall. The fear I would have in living full-time in an RV as a solo traveler would be lack of connection and community. Nature is wonderful, and I truly love being in nature, but we need connection. We need community. The adventures would get old if I had no place to call home. I discovered that my greatest shadow is the loneliness and isolation I have found on the road, but it is important to mention also that there is frequently something else that moves in and takes its place. 
It's a deep solitude and connection with nature and that something greater that seems to show up for me time and time again. What I have discovered is that the loneliness and isolation are opposite ends of the same coin with solitude and connection with something greater. Whether we feel that deep aching loneliness or whether we feel the comfort of solitude depends on where we are in that moment because we can take the same experience and interpret it two different ways. When we have a fall like I did and realize there's nobody there to pick us up, it brings up the old wounds of feeling abandoned, lost, disconnected. But when we feel strong and on our feet and connected to the oneness that is all around us, we can feel instead connection in our aloneness. When we toss a coin, there's no telling which way it will fall just as we can't know in any given day how we will feel. Feelings change like the weather. Joy and sorrow are opposite ends of the same coin as well. And in life, we will feel both. It isn't realistic to believe we will ever have a life where there is only joy and no sorrow. Only solitude and never loneliness. Only love and no anger. Only connection and no loss. Life is messy and filled with so many different emotions. And if we can learn to embrace them all and work through whatever shows up, we can find stability in all of it. I can tell you after my four-month journey traveling alone in my truck camper that I'm never really alone. I had so many experiences where I know I was being watched over and taken care of. All the challenges I faced on the road have only served to make me stronger, more aware, and more self-reliant. It doesn't mean I always have to be alone. Alone is something we all need to learn to embrace. Because when we find peace in our aloneness, we can find peace in our togetherness. If we struggle with being alone, we will struggle in our relationships. Because we bring that which we struggle with that lives inside of us into our relationships. So those who can't be alone also can't be with others in any real healthy way. So even if we have to go to the very depths of our loneliness, it's there that we find our solitude. And it's there that we find our power. Walking alone allows us to confront our inner demons and bring them out into the light. Those demons can never survive the light. Awareness is the enemy of the demon. Einstein has a famous quote that says, The woman who walks alone is likely to find herself in places no one has ever been before. Those places I have found myself. 
are not the places we find on the outside, out in nature. Although many of the places I visited were remote, they'd already been found by others. The places that Albert Einstein speaks of are the places we find on the inside, which results in a life we live that is gained through our strength and our courage to face our dragons and rise above the obstacles that would have held us back if we let them. The ability to walk alone is profound. And so for all of you who have dared take the journey, I commend you. And for those of you who are called to the journey, I encourage you. For there is no greater journey than the journey of the self to the self. I want to thank you for listening today. And if you want to find out more about me and my work, you can visit my websites, NarcissismFree.com and PathBackToSelf.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next podcast.